it'll count to you. <laughs> well, I can't really see that clearly either. Although we might not see uh, prophets like Jeremiah in our time, it doesn't mean that they've got nothing to say to us. As they are in the Bible that Jesus read, and he was familiar with the writings of the prophets. And um, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy, and in this case, the prophecy of Jeremiah is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word, work. When I'm reading the Old Testament books, I try to keep that in mind because they are written in a different culture, in a different language, they use different illustrations and different symbols from those that we're familiar with. But then again, they're also written to people who have the same mental and spiritual problems which we face today. And so, yes, Jeremiah does have something to say to us sitting here in this building where Wingham Baptist Church meets week by week. Now, the Lord had called Israel out of the nations to be his own special people. He had entered into a covenant with them and they were to be a nation who would show the character of the Lord to the surrounding nations. Israel had failed to do that. And so the Lord sent prophets over many years. I think Andrew mentioned about over 300 years. About 300 years or more warning the people of Israel repent and return to the Lord and also warning them of the consequences of their disobedience and Jeremiah was one of those prophets and he was one who saw those consequences put into effect in the exile his prophecies covered around about 40 years which is a long time to preach and know that there's not going to be much in the way of a positive response. And as I was reading through that, I wondered how many ministers get up into their pulpit week by week and have exactly the same thought. A couple of weeks ago, Luke spoke on chapter 8. And there were three of the characteristics of the people that really stood out. And that is they refused to listen, they refused to repent and they didn't care. And throughout Jeremiah's prophecy he expresses his grief and his heartache for his people and yet he continues to preach the same message to the same people year after year. And we are called to a similar task because these attitudes are not only in the broader society, but they're also in the church. Now this prophecy that's recorded in chapter 11 was most likely written around about the time of Josiah's reform. And that can be read about in 2 Kings 22. And that reform was given a good start with the discovery of the Book of the Covenant in the temple. <coughs> it had been about 75 years 
since the death of Hezekiah and his reform. And the two kings who followed him were evil kings. There's Manasseh and Ammon. And here we have Josiah who has reigned for 18 years so far. That's a long time for the book of the covenant to have been missing from the life of the nation. 2 Kings 23.1 records that as a result of the discovery of the book of the covenant, Josiah went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. In Exodus we read about Moses. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. So what we read there is what we have recorded in Exodus 19 to 24. And most likely that is probably what Josiah read out to the people on this day. Now Josiah's reform did come a bit too late because God's patience had already run out. He had already pronounced judgment involving exile but because of Josiah's repentance he delayed that. We come to chapter 11 and Judah found itself in a situation where the judgments or curses that were pronounced in Deuteronomy were coming to pass and those chapters you can read about in chapters 27 and 28 about the blessings that had been announced from Mount Gerizim and the curses that had been announced from Mount Ebal. And in verse 4 of chapter 11 of Jeremiah, God summarises the covenant. He said, Obey me and do everything I command you, and and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfil the oath I swore to your forefathers, to give them the land flowing milk and honey, the land you possess today. The nature of a covenant involved a bonding of two parties and had as its goal a close relationship of intimacy and loyalty. The intimacy aspect can be stated as you will be my people and I will be your God. The loyalty aspect is that the people are to obey the terms of the covenant. You might have noticed two phrases that seemed to crop up a couple of times in our reading. The first one describes the subject of the prophecy, which is the terms of the covenant. I think it's about three or four times that expression is used. And the Lord goes on to state that because the people have broken it, he is now bringing the curses of the covenant on them. To the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. This prophecy is directed to God's people who have broken the covenant and who now face the consequences of that choice. When Andrew introduced the series, he asked two questions. One was, who was Jeremiah prophesying to? Answer, God's people. The second one, who are God's people today? Answer, the church. And so as we work through this 
passage, we'll see how that relates to us. When we read of this breaking of the covenant, how is God affected by this? In Hosea 2.13 we read, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot. In Ezekiel 6.9 we read, Then in the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me. How I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me. This word grieved can also be translated crushed, hurt, broken hearted. How I have been broken hearted and crushed by their adulterous hearts, which they have turned away from me. God is talking about his people. Can you hear the sadness in his voice? He is not a God who delights in the death of the wicked, but he is one who is pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live. That's what he told Ezekiel. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And his weeping over the sins of his people reflects God's grief over the sins of his people who also refuse to listen. Do you grieve over the state of the church and how much it has turned away from the Lord? Do you grieve for those congregations who meet week after week but who don't hear the word of the Lord? Or if they do, their response is like Judah. They refuse to listen, they refuse to repent and they don't care. Let's bring it a little bit closer. Have you forgotten the Lord? I mentioned earlier about the Book of the Covenant being absent from the life of the nation for about 75 years. How important is the Bible to you? How often do you read it? Do you read it enough to know roughly where the different books are without having to look up the index? How often we have grieved our Lord. Yet Paul in his letter to the Ephesians writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Hebrews 2.1 talks about drifting. If you've ever watched Bondi Rescue or even if you've been in the surf yourself, you find it very easy to drift out of the safety of the flag zone and find yourself into a rip before you're aware of it. Or you might be listening to a sermon, hopefully not mine, and you'll find it very easy to drift off to sleep until someone nudges you awake for snoring. It is so easy to drift. We might be a bit tired, so oh, oh, I don't think I'll pray tonight. You might have had a late night last night, so oh, 
Oh, I just, yeah, I'll skip my devotions this morning and just sleep in for that little extra time. It's very easy to drift. One of the recurring phrases was the terms of the covenant. Jeremiah has been instructed to listen to them and then twice he's been told to tell the people uh, to listen to them. Now this might have been when King Josiah read from the book before the people or it might have been a little bit later, it doesn't matter. It was still fresh in their mind what they had heard. They had heard the blessings for obedience, they had heard the curses for disobedience. In verses 9 to 11, the Lord informs Jeremiah that there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, in that they have returned to the sins of their forefathers. They have refused to listen to the words. They have followed other gods. He says that both the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant. Israel had already gone into exile about 80 years before, but that has clearly made no difference in the lives of the people of Judah. And we might be tempted to think that because we are now under the new covenant, that the old one and its terms don't apply. And in a certain sense, that is correct. But we are accountable for the extra knowledge that we have. The writer to the Hebrews writes this, In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. In Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples about being watchful for the master who is going to return one day unexpectedly. And he concludes that with this statement. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. In Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, the writer states that God disciplines his children with the intent that we may share in his holiness. In Acts and Corinthians, we read what appears to be examples of this. In Acts chapter 6, we read of Ananias and Sapphira, who both died for blatantly lying to God. We read of those in Corinth, in chapter 11, who became sick or who died because of their attitude towards communion. God has not changed. He disciplines his children When we hear terms of the covenant, what do we understand by that? Remember the summary of the covenant. God said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. I also mentioned that the covenant is a bonding between two parties and has as its goal a close relationship of intimacy and loyalty. And the intimacy aspect can be stated, you will be my people and I will be your God. The loyalty is that the people are to obey the terms of the covenant. 
The Lord had called Israel out of the nations to be his own special people. He had entered into this covenant with them and they were to be a nation who would show his character to the surrounding nations. Israel had failed to do that. But has the church done any better? Let's have a look at John 13 and 14. This is part of our Lord's last talk to his disciples. It took place after the supper and just before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll read the one, the verses that I particularly want to focus on which seem to me to be the essence of the terms of the covenant for us. In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1415. If you love me, you will obey my, what I command. 1421. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. 15.10 If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 14 You are my friends if you do what I command. 17 This is my command, love each other. That's a lot of times in a very short period of time to say the same thing. There is something very significant about that. Does it ring a bell? Does it sound a bit like what Jeremiah said when, when, when he said, God said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. The Lord said to Jeremiah, listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. I warned them again and again, obey me, but they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Is this indictment something the Lord could address to today's church? Yes. I believe it is. In Andrew's introduction, he stated that people are anti-church because they perceive the church as judge. In Romans 2.24, Paul gives a very loose translation of a sentence in Ezekiel. <coughs> God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Yet listen to our Lord as he speaks to Nicodemus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And yet through the ages, the churches have put themselves in a place where not even our Lord put himself. And so many times in that passage in John our Lord tells us, he commands us to love each other and that obedience to that command is how people will know that we are his followers. And I would say that the church over the years has not kept the terms of the covenant.
And I believe that if all the people who have ever been hurt by the church suddenly turned up at all the church buildings, they wouldn't fit. We've recently concluded a series in the Beatitudes. And through that we have been shown and introduced to the characteristics of the kingdom of God to which we now belong. And Paul writes to the Colossians, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We are called to be salt and light to our community, to act as a preservative and to enable things to be seen. We are called to be different, even as Israel was called to be different. This is a quote from some scripture union notes from a long time ago written by Dennis Lennon. He says, The unique role of the church as the people of God in the world is to live the gospel and incarnate the name in every inch of daily life. The beautiful and holy God reflected to the world by a beautiful and holy Peter writes, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We have not fulfilled that role. At the start I stated that Paul wrote to Timothy, The prophecy of Jeremiah is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, what can Jeremiah teach us? He teaches us that we are God's people in a covenant relationship with him and that we are to be obedient to the terms of the covenant. He also teaches us that God will hold us to account and discipline us when we go astray from the covenant. How does what Jeremiah said, how does it rebuke us? He rebukes us for our complacency and our drifting. He rebukes us for not listening, for not repenting and for not caring. How does he correct us? He corrects any misconceptions we may have about our obligations to God as they are expressed in our obligations to each other and that is we are to love one another. How does what Jeremiah prophesied train us in righteousness? He does this by showing us through the terms of the covenant that we as God's people are to live our life honouring him so that people around us will know to whom we belong by us being a holy people living in loving obedience to our Lord. The purpose is so that every man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every... And what is that good work? We have a mission and a message. The mission is found at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. The message that we have can be summed up in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen at quite quite a lot of people before he ascended. Now, when Jeremiah was given his mission, he saw himself as being very inadequate for the task. But what did the Lord say to him? Let's read it in Jeremiah 1, 7-9. The Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and, excuse me, and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. In doing this, the Lord, in putting the words into Jeremiah's mouth, showed that he had all authority. And that gave Jeremiah the courage and the strength to preach his unpopular message of repent and return to the Lord. And Jesus, as our Lord, in giving his instructions, states that he has all authority. The same authority as the Lord in Jeremiah's day. And that should give us the courage and the strength to preach the unpopular message of the cross today to all people. Now we are not concerned, not to be concerned for results. It's not for us to convert people. Our responsibility is to present the message of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and let God through his Holy Spirit do the converting work. We have a message to deliver and let us each pray that God gives us the courage and the strength to deliver it and to leave the results to him. Thank you.